This is the Get A Life Podcast, X-Cult Conversations. We're here with you today uh, with a special guest, who I'm going to let someone else introduce. But uh, just to give you a quick um, recap, we are all ex-members of the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, a cult right here in Canada and the United States, and in Australia, New Zealand, many other countries. And we're here to share our stories about the abuse that we suffered at the hands of this cult so that some justice can be brought and hopefully some people will end up in jail. Carmen, take it away. Hello, everybody. So I got to ask everybody a really special question before we start. I think Richard's been holding out on us because the rumor is that we're getting paid to tell our stories. Richard, have you been holding out on us? Richard, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I know me and really Cheryl nice. aren't getting paid. I know me and Cheryl aren't getting paid. So it has to be you and Lane. I went in on this one. I'm saving up for my next vacation, and I'm struggling. So uh, please hand it over. Direct well, deposit, I, I, Venmo. I'm good with any of them. Just pay me. I take. I still take Bitcoin. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll leave it all to you guys. I'll leave it all to you guys in my will. So. Okay. Um. <laughs> How generous. How generous. So I guess just, I I hold on. I guess that if all that you, if you're in a place that's obsessed with money, then your automatic response would be, well, most other people must be obsessed with money too. That is a yeah. very logical explanation. Yeah. 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 Yep. That could be. <laughs> Um, so just to clarify for our ex-members, for any of our members that happen to be watching, nobody gets paid to go on a podcast. So you don't have to disregard what we say because we're getting paid to say it. Let's clear it up. We're not getting paid. We're just telling the story to see if we can get some justice. So now that that's all clear, it makes me wonder has PBCC added a new um, type of abuse to their portfolio? It's called victim shaming. Oh, wow. Yeah, they're good. Um, that's that. an old one. They've been doing that for a long time. <laughs> victim shaming is old news. Yeah. yeah, because the rumors going around, we don't have to believe this podcast because they're just getting paid to say it. Sure. Yeah. So, I, can anyway. I can show you my bank account and there's <laughs> definitely no money coming in there. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I'd like, I'd like to see someone sit down in front of a police officer and talk about being abused as a child yeah. for money. You know, that's probably yeah. a really, oh yeah, you just make it up. And I'm sure that cop couldn't, wouldn't see through it in 10 seconds. Nobody yeah. fucking does that. Nobody wants to go and tell someone that they were disgustingly abused as a child for money. Exactly. Or come on justice. publicly and talk about it. I mean, it's one of the hardest things to ever do. We don't, we don't choose to do this. I just finished yeah. an hour and a half therapy session on keeping my momentum in plunking myself in this chair. So I guarantee you, A, I'm not getting paid and B, it's not always a choice I choose. I'm doing it because I have family in there. I'm doing it because there's hordes of emails and messages and text messages from inside, from outside, from people that were never even part of the, the PBCC that are literally begging us to do this. I received an email from a dad on the weekend. Um, I'm not going to disclose anything other than that. And 
he, I mean, he ripped our hearts out with his letter pretty much. Right. So we don't, we don't do this for the sake of getting paid or having fun. This is hard work. It's very, very hard, emotional and mental work. We do it because we're all fighting for the same end goal. Yeah. There's and nothing the enjoyable record. about it. No. Nothing enjoyable. And, and if for you the listen, record, for the, the record, level. victim shaming has got to be the lowest of the low. It's an old, old trick, but it is the lowest of the low. And it doesn't look good on somebody that calls themselves a church. Yeah. That's a very good yeah. point. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, without further ado... I'm going to bring my friend on here. Um, she comes from about 20 minutes away from where I grew up. And I remember her as a little girl, a little girl. And she always had a smile on her face from ear to ear. And I never knew if it was because she was happy or if she was getting into something, probably getting into something. <laughs> but anyways, this is Best Seed from, are you still in St. Vincent? Where are you now? I'm actually in Hallock, Minnesota. Oh, really close. Really close. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your story Beth well so my story um I always tell people I have a, a before and an after and the before part of my story is before my parents were confined which as we all know means they got in trouble with the church so I was eight years old when my parents got in trouble. To this day, I'm still very vague on what their specific crimes per se were. But um, of course there was me and my three siblings. Um, my three siblings are older, one brother and two sisters. And my two sisters went to different households to live. Um, and my brother and I were sent to uh, my uncle and aunt um john and helen c they lived you know we're talking a town of 600 people if that uh, yeah. and uh they lived literally down the street i mean it was right there and so um it was april 1st of 1995 that my parents got confined and i was sent to live there and uh you know in talking to carmen about this and i think she laughed because uh she knows exactly what i'm talking about they couldn't have been different people than my parents um you know my mom is a very warm kind person my dad for the fact that he was a seed he was <laughs> still pretty nice guy um more like my uncle dave and aunt ruth who are also out of the brother now john frankly my uncle John was not a nice man. I, I don't think there's very many people that would say he was very pleasant. Um, and it was a culture shock at eight years old to go and live with them. It was very, very different. Um, and they had two children still left at home, um, Don and Diane. I refer to him as Donnie because that's what he went by at that point. He is Don, I believe now. Um, and they're both older than me. And uh, it was almost immediate after I went to live there that um, I started being sexually abused by Donnie. Um, you know, and I, I did not tell anyone this. I didn't tell anyone this for years. I, it wasn't until I started going to therapy 
um, just a few years ago that I finally actually talked about this. Um, if you had asked me if it had happened 10 years ago, I probably would have lied to your face and said it didn't because it was something I, I could not think about. Um, it still is very hard for me to talk about it, to think about it. It's, it's shameful. And I know I, I know I've been to therapy. I know I don't need to be ashamed, but you still carry that dirty feeling. Yeah. And, um, so it was, uh, about two months after my parents got confined, um, in June, I, uh, I was over it. I was over the whole thing. I wanted to be with my dad and mom, you know, I didn't like what was happening. I, I was scared and I just wanted to go home. And, uh, so I, one day after lunch, I told my aunt I was going out to play in the yard and I just went home. And I remember just, you know, strolling in the back door. And what people don't realize is like, you did not do that to people that were confined. You did not talk to them. I was not supposed to see my parents face to face and talk to them. That was not allowed. And um, I just walked in the back door. I remember my mom, you know, immediately, you know, she was crying and I'm looking back. I'm sure she was thrilled to see me, but I was just like, oh, hey, yeah, you know. I'm, I'm home kind of over yeah. this and yeah, yeah. Just, just ready to be home. And she called my dad and, and, uh, he came home and they were both talking to me and well, Beth, you know, like we get that you want to come home, but the best place for you is with the brother. And they sent me back. Wow. And, uh, it's something, and I brought it up to my parents, that it's something that I struggle to forgive them for. I do. I don't know if I'll ever wholly get over it. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, they didn't know what they were sending me back to, but I did. And I didn't want to go back. And it was a cry for help and nobody heard. Yeah. And, uh, so I went back, um, it happened repeatedly, every opportunity that he had me alone. Um, there was something, some touching at the very least. Um, and it was only when I got smart enough to never be alone with him I was never alone period I wouldn't let myself be alone I made sure that I was with somebody all the time so it was a period of about um I was probably eight to ten years old that it happened and um I didn't feel like there was anyone I could talk to because you know I didn't have my parents I was living with his parents and I'm sorry but in my opinion, most parents are going to take their child's side, you know, and that's how I felt. It just felt like I was very alone. I, I was extremely emotional. I cried all the time. I was sick all the time. I remember being like ill, literally with colds or fevers or stomach flu week in, week out while I lived there. And I'd never been that way. And I think it honestly was the mental toll yeah. that it took on me. The yeah. trauma. Yes, the trauma. the trauma is exactly right. And, you know, I told, I was telling Carmen, I said, you know, I was so ridiculously innocent at eight years old. 
like i i truly did not know that boys had different parts like that that is how innocent i was at eight years old and that was gone and you know i know it changed how i view relationships it changed how i view the people in my life it changed how i handle everything it changed me and it's something you can never ever get back no and um so anyways to fast forward a little bit i um i left the brethren in uh, 2008 when i was 21 years old there was a number of factors that contributed to it you know i i just felt like things were no longer making sense but my driving thing the straw that broke the camel's back if you will was um you know i saw him my abuser living his best life he was married children and suffering zero consequences he was just happily living you know and no one cared and it was like okay well i'm not the only one he did this to i know there were others that he touched how much of this is still going on and i just needed to get away i was done i was running away i was out of there and i totally put it out of my mind the brethren everything to do with it for about 10 years and then um well, it was actually more like 11 because it was in 2019. I, I really suffered almost a complete breakdown. I mean, I was crying all the time. I was, I was struggling to process. I was suicidal for sure. Um, and I started seeing a therapist and I didn't talk to him about it. What had actually happened for about probably six months. And when I finally finally in one session did he said to me he's like i've been waiting for this i knew it was <laughs> and um in the process of going through that i decided to let my parents know that this happened i i decided that i needed to make sure that this was not still going on so i believe it was me 22nd of 2020 i emailed my parents a long email at that point i should clarify i was still in contact with my mom once a week i talked to her once a week on the phone i had never been told i was confined or withdrawn from um and we had uh not a perfect relationship because they certainly didn't like that i questioned things about the brethren they never want to hear anything like that but i uh i wrote them a long email explaining everything that had happened and the initial response i got back was um beth we need some time to process this <laughs> and about a day later they did responded it was more than clear they believed me which i considered to be huge i was actually almost a little surprised so as the course of the next weeks after that went on um i talked to my mom a lot more on the phone there was a lot of emails exchanged and at one point she called me I can still see it absolutely vividly. It was in the morning. I was getting ready to go to work. I, you know, saw my phone ringing and sat down on the edge of the bed and was talking to my mom. And she said to me, um, 
so the priests have contacted Donnie. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Yep, and he admitted everything. Wow. I'm like, okay. She said, um, then he asked if he could come over and meet with me and dad. So meet with my parents at their house. And uh, she said he came over and sat down at the kitchen table and she said uh, he told us everything. Everything he did. And I immediately ran to the bathroom and threw up. I, I was to my stomach thinking about it now. I hate the thought that that he remembers it because I don't want to remember it. Yeah. And and um, the thought that he told my parents was almost more than I could handle. Um, and while there's a part of me that says, "Oh, good, he admitted it. That's something." why why are you remembering every detail and telling my parents i mean why what is this so then this continued a little bit i told my mom i was considering pressing charges and that's when things started getting a little bumpier with them um well the brethren are dealing with this in their own way and oh okay well can you tell me what's happening no we can't discuss that with you oh this is my shocked face um then pretty soon I got an email that said, if you feel that you want to go ahead and press charges, you can do that. Well, thank you. I wasn't actually asking your permission, but yeah. great. Thank you. Um, then it gradually, so that was in May, by about mid-July, it was turning very much more, the brethren have this handled, don't worry about it. And on August 26th of 2020, um they cut off contact with me <laughs> they said they felt that they could no longer be in contact with me and when I said why um they said they felt that my position was in direct opposition with the brother and I was confined within just a couple weeks after that Are so you going forward with charges I have not so I I have not done anything other than I talked to the local sheriff, obviously we're a small area. I literally work right down the hall from the sheriff's department. I know him well. And he said, you can absolutely press charges. You can absolutely file a report. Um, yeah, I guess they would press charges, but I can absolutely file a report. But um, he said, I just want you to be prepared for the fact that since he was a minor as well because he was he was he was a fair bit older than me but he was still a teenager too the odds are it wouldn't go anywhere wow nothing would really happen and i would have to be willing to talk about everything and i don't know if i can do that i don't know if i will ever be able to do that how and much I, older was he than you? Five years. Yeah, so five still, years. Yeah. Yep. And I mean, there. You know, he said to me, the sheriff said to me, he said, "Did he know it was wrong?" And I said, "Well, the fact that he told me not to tell anyone that 
you know, he would always make sure there was no one else around. I mean, he literally shoved me in a closet a time or two when someone came into a room. He knew mm-hmm. that what was happening was wrong. So there's no question of that in my mind. But in the eyes of the law, yeah, how much can you do? And I think a lot of people don't understand like how hard it is on us. I was supposed to go back and revisit all of my locations that I was taken to and do a, a separate police statement for them all. And I did. I ended up canceling it because it was way too stressful on me. I had done yep. already nine hours. Yep. The thing is, is that <clears throat> I think it's important for our listeners to understand that we don't we don't expect the judicial system to solve our problems. <laughs> Right. That's not going to happen. And I think everybody needs to wrap their head around that because it's not realistic. It's not realistic. We it's like, I actually called up my constable the other day and said, like, I want, tell me legally what I can do to create these changes that we need. We know we need a coercion law. How do we, how do we make these changes? Can you tell me where to go? How do I start this? I know it's a pipe dream, but tell me how to start this. And like, he couldn't even help me in that. Like, it's just, The judicial system isn't the answer that everybody thinks it is because everybody's first reaction to all this, and I know you probably get it, Beth, or we'll get it after this, is like all these emails will come your way about, well, you should press charges. You should press charges. Yes. You should at least try. Oh, I've, they don't I've realize, already gotten a, a yeah. ton of that. And it's like, it's not that easy. It's not, it's that, not easy. that easy. And and, and it's, it's not that easy on, as far as the judicial system goes, and it's not that easy mentally yes yes that's what i was going to get at is that you have to weigh out this pros and cons of what you're you're re-traumatizing yourself you're re-traumatizing your body it took me months to bounce back from my first original police report and for me for for to have to go back in there and do that all over again i had to weigh out the pros and cons right i don't believe and i'm like i'm going to say this publicly and out loud i don't believe I don't have high expectations with, with the judicial system and the, and, and the police force. I don't. I, I hope that they prove me wrong. I hope they prove me wrong. But I think that it's important for the listeners to understand that that isn't our first, our first no. reaction to this isn't, oh, I better call the police and make a police report. It's not. Because we know of the control and the power that this cult has inside in regards to that. Right. And that's and that's exactly the thing. You know, when I initially started talking about it and started admitting this happened, it wasn't about how can I get justice? Because honestly, I don't feel like that's a real likelihood in my situation. Yes, exactly. Yeah. However, I want this to be part of a huge wake up call to yeah. the brethren that this is a pervasive issue. You have a big problem you have a huge problem with sexual abuse that you have not dealt with yeah this is this is a deep issue and just because you want to close your eyes and say oh but nobody's talking about it no people in the brethren aren't talking about it because women are nothing and yes there's men and boys getting abused in the brethren but not like women not the numbers it's not the same and it's like you need to wake up and do something about this this is a real issue and that's where to me that's where it is worth talking about because no I might not get the answer that I want I might not 
see my abuser actually punished. However, if it does stop another child, another eight-year-old from being abused, then I got what I needed. That's what yeah. I need. Yeah. And it, it is very much about having these conversations, right? We have to have these conversations in order to realize that we're also not afraid of coming forward and, and telling what we need to tell, but it's also to just make the whole globe, the, the whole global, um, everywhere that the PBC touch and reach aware of what's happening inside there, right? Yes. Like it, it is, it is a it's a huge wake up call that has to happen. And I don't believe we have to have the judicial system behind us. Um, I don't think that's where we get. I believe that that's not where we get a lot of our change from. Our change comes from community. It comes from the voice of the people gathering enough people together to let the government know we need change. Right. And that's what we have to do. We have to come together in huge numbers in order to try and bring about some sort of change. And I mean, honestly, if you sit back and go to the complete, the, the only way that we're going to get a hold of this, if this group is through a coercion law. Yes. Yep. Right. No, we have to we're, we're so limited on what we really can do because they have a lot of power. And I don't yeah. think people realize, you know, their numbers are small, but they have huge money behind them and they will stop at nothing to protect themselves and and it's like well something something has to change someone has to wake up and deal with this and well, i mean i remember seeing you know physical abuse happening i mean obviously the sexual abuse i mean there was myself but i mean i saw my abuser abuse multiple other girls this is a big uh, problem this is a big problem and my parents asked me to name names of these girls that he saw. That was one of the things the brethren really pushed me on was to name names. And I said, absolutely not. I will never do that because it is every victim's story to tell. Yeah. Nothing would be more jarring than to have someone walk up to you and be like, so I heard that you were sexually abused by this person and you aren't ready to talk about it. I told somebody not that long ago, I mean, if you'd come up to me at age 18 and said, were you sexually abused? I would have looked you right in the eye and lied. I would have said, nope, not happened. Hasn't happened. Not a thing. And that's yeah. a lie. I wasn't ready to talk about it. Yeah. And that's the thing too, with sexual abuse or any abuse, really, you have to be ready. You have to be ready to make that change. There has to be a landing pad, right? Yes. And I I do agree that these kinds of conversations get people. And I do know that there are women inside there that have been abused that are starting to talk, right? Just from feedback that we're getting. I do know that there, the, the abused women are starting to talk inside there. Um, it's, it. I mean, it took me 30 years of after leaving to be able to come out. And I had to make sure that I had a good enough landing pad to do it. I had to, you know, it was a documentary. It was Richard coming forth. It was David Wallace's political stuff. And I knew that I could squeeze in here and be able to drop my story and know yep. that it wasn't going to get flushed down the toilet because the shame is huge. huge. I think that's the, the, the part that you feel, you feel so dirty. You feel so, um, 
I can't even explain it. You feel like a monster inside that they've made you feel like that. Right. Yes. And so and you feel takes- like, you feel like, what did I do yeah. that caused this to happen yes. to me? Yeah. Because yeah. this must yeah. have been me. Yeah. This must yeah. be me. I must have deserved this. Yeah. And, and it's like, no, you didn't. And, you know, I, again, this is therapy has helped me tremendously because of course, as you get older, you start beating yourself up. Why didn't I do this? Why didn't I tell this person? Why didn't I, why didn't I react like this? Why couldn't I have done this? And I have to remind myself, oh, it's very easy as a 30 year old woman, as a 35 year old woman to come up with all these great ideas but you were eight, you were a baby, you know, eight, nine, and 10. That's how old I was. Well, I look at, I have nieces that are eight, nine, 10. And I think they're babies. If someone did that to them. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. yeah. Did you find that because it happened under under the umbrella of the control of the PBCC, that it added this extra element of fear and this extra element of restriction in being able to come forward and talk like it's like we had to fight our way out through a few monsters versus just oh for sure a monster there was just so many monsters you had to face in order so many monsters and for me so when I initially left the brethren um so I knew I had seen a couple people locally try and leave that literally were stopped trying to leave town and suddenly were sent to Australia for encouragement, you know, encouragement. (laughs) And uh, so I knew that I had to be very smart about my leaving. I knew that I had to have a plan. I had to literally sneak away. And I did. And the brethren pursued me horrifically. The first, um, about six months and it was extremely traumatic for me honestly um because they were showing up outside of apartments and businesses they were calling I mean I had to change my number numerous times because I I still tell people that when I hear that you have one new voicemail it's a trigger for me because Uh I would pick up my phone and it would be like it would tell me you have 10 new voicemails or however many. And I, it was absolutely overwhelming. I mean, I've heard since then they hired a private investigator to try and find me. I mean, it was very, very intense and it absolutely pushed me into, I won't talk about this. I won't acknowledge this. I'm running away as hard and fast as I can. And I, I didn't even come to Pamela, you know, Carmen knows right where that is. And uh, I didn't even come there because I didn't want to be seen by the brethren. I was that scared for years. And it took therapy to get me to the point where I'm not scared of them anymore. They're not going to beat me. And so when you say you're getting through more than one monster, that's part of it. Like I had to get over my fear of the brethren themselves yeah and then start dealing with the fact that i mean i still see my abuser around town i had a huge this spring i literally ran into him face to face in the post office and it it was devastating for me it honestly was 
I can't see him without starting to shake. And it makes me mad because I should be over this. I'm strong. I am not eight years old anymore. But when I see him, I'm right back in those same situations. And it's out of my control. Yeah. And it's it's the part that I don't know whether you ever get over. Yeah. And I'm scared to think that I am 30 years on from this. I might be 50 years on from this and not over it. Yeah. And that's a, a hard thing. It really scars a Peter piece of our soul, right? It scars yeah. a very, very sacred part of us that I think takes a very, very, very long time. I know if I was to come, if I was to see Ellen face to face, I 100%, I would go back into, I know I would retreat back into that. He just had this presence of owning me. Right. Um, and I, I do, I think all we can do is make sure that we're having these healthy conversations. I do therapy. I mean, sometimes I have two therapies a week, right. I, I'm in therapy is my key. Right. Um, And I think the more that we take action and we find ways to kind of fix the problem, we're trying to create this, this, this movement. Right. And I think for myself, it's given me healing on levels. I didn't think I was able to get inside because now I'm going in and being like, instead of focusing on everything that happened to me, it's like, let's try and focus on what we can do to protect those children that are in there. So I guarantee you again, we're not getting paid to do this. This is our passion. This is our parts of us that are so scarred that literally we'll watch, walk with a crutch for the rest of our life. That's what motivates us to be able to do what we're doing. I I want, I want to know that no one is going to deal with what I dealt with. And, you know, I, I told Carmen, when I talked to her last week, I said, you know, I, it's something that just hit me not that long ago. The brethren like to, you know, tell you that they're so, um, uh, like, they're such a supportive group. They support each <laughs> other 100%. They don't need anyone else. They they absolutely have each other. And I said, it's such a proven thing. It couldn't be more wrong because I felt like I was the only one that was going through what I went through. And then you start talking about it and you start hearing the stories and you realize that there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other people that have gone through these same things that you did, that you're not alone, but you felt totally alone. And it's like, wait a minute, if I'm supposed to have this amazing supportive network, because the brethren are so amazing and supportive. How come I felt totally isolated and totally yeah. alone and completely unable to talk about this? It so doesn't add he, up. When they when he confessed what he did, was there like was there action taken in in like with with the police at that point? Did they no. did they contact the police? They didn't contact the police at all because I asked. I asked the sheriff. I said, "Did you hear anything?" And he's he was like, "No. The first time hearing about this is from you." And, um, so no, I mean, they, nothing involving law enforcement. Nope. And they wouldn't tell me anything that was, you know, did they make him go to therapy? Uh, well, since they don't really believe in that, I'm going to say that's probably a no, you know, did, 
did they change anything? I do know the one thing I do know that happened that my mom told me is he was working at the school and they did make him stop working at the school. So I do know they did that. And I remember thinking, okay, if nothing else happens, one good thing came out of this, but you know, there was a, there was so many different things um, that were said. I mean, I, I can't even tell you how many times I went to therapy, literally yelling, crying, losing my mind during this time period, because it was just such a, pardon my language, it was a mind fuck. I mean, it really was. It was like, you're reliving some of the worst times of your life and having to really come to the realization that, okay, great, your parents believe you, but they're really not going to help make sure that this person that did this to you faces any consequences at all. And I did actually, it was the week before they called and said they would no have no more contact with me. I straight out asked, how can you break bread? You know, that's their term, but how can you break bread with the person that did this to me, but you can't break bread with me? Yeah. How am I more evil? than that and they could not answer me they didn't respond they could not answer me no they choose pedophiles over their own family i thought how can you how can you justify that yeah how to me to me if you said to me oh here you can sit down and eat with this buddhist or you can sit down and eat with the pedophile i'm gonna go sit down with the buddhist yeah. I'm not a Buddhist myself, but I will happily sit down and eat with them before I'm going to sit down and eat with a pedophile. Yeah. Yeah. So how does this work in your mind? How? These are the questions they all need to be asking themselves right now inside there. How rampant do you think the, the, the sexual abuse was in your interchange area? Huge. Huge. Not even a question. Huge. And so what was your huge area? What localities did that cover? So that was St. Vincent, which is, um, it was always called St. Vincent, even though it's St. Vincent and Pembina, they're side by side, tiny little communities, but it was the locality was called St. Vincent. Then there's Nietzsche, um, where Carmen grew up. Mm-hmm. And then there was Winnipeg, where Lane was for quite a while and woodlands and then later in later years there was stonewall as well yeah um and i am not as familiar with winnipeg woodlands and stonewall i don't you know we didn't see them as often that was just a weekend thing but in nichi st vincent and pamina yeah i think there was a lot a lot that went on yeah so we kind of when we talked and we talked about the things that in the PBCC culture that lead to this. And we talked a lot about the treatment of women. Yes. Yes. Because I, I mean, it's something that I've, you know, what is it, you know, with age does come a little bit of clarity. There's no question. And, you know, I, I look back and I think, you know, my mom was, is, one of the smartest people I know. I mean, really, she's brilliant. And yet, you know, she got no credit 
for her abilities in my parents' business for what she did. I mean, she ran that business, hundred yeah. percent. My dad could never have done it without her. But it was, it was my dad. If you ask the brother, and it was my dad, hundred percent. You know, wow. and I just think she could have done anything, but. I do know if we want to back up to when they got in trouble, I do know that one of the things was, so the brethren had just started a little school in St. Vincent, um, kindergarten through eighth grade in 1994, the fall of 94. And um, so it had a worldly teacher that taught K through eight. And she, um, wonderful lady, by the way, um, I credit her with a lot of little bits of, um, just little things she said and did that I think probably stuck with me far more than I realized at that time. But she did not like to teach math. Math was not her strong suit. And so she had asked if someone could come in and be like a teacher's date. And my mom, like I say, was very smart. And so sure, she would come in and teach math. So she taught fourth grade through eighth grade, math, algebra, and geometry. And so she was at the school from like 9.30 in the morning until noon every day. And I know that was one of the things they said was that, like, she wasn't paid for this, by the way. She just went. And uh, that was one of the supposed issues was that um, she was working outside the home. Uh Which, incidentally, there are brethren women working outside the home now. Married brethren women. We have them in this area. And so I want to be like, oh, hmm. so like a million other things, the Lord turned a corner on that one too. Another big corner. Yeah. Yeah. Big corner. Another big corner. You know what? It really comes down to. And you know, by the way, I did, I did call them out on that one time too. I said, so please explain to me then um, the Bible refers to our one unchanging God. Um, so how exactly does this work? And they didn't care for that either. Um, yeah, I, I quickly learned that a lot of the things that I questioned that they didn't like, they just simply didn't answer. I just simply didn't get a response or I was told I was, you know, I was being ridiculous. So. I liked, I liked messing with them too. I, uh, they told me, they accused me of turning my back on God. And I said, well, isn't God everywhere? Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> he'll be in front of me still. Yes. Yes. No, it's it's just, I, I do, I mean, there is a certain satisfaction you get from, well, I told Carmen, I, uh, you know, it's funny when you're in the brother, oh, you are, you just, you're told from the time you're old enough to understand that you know the Bible and are the best Christian and you're pretty much a genius when it comes to the Bible. Yeah. And then you leave the brethren and you start interacting with these yeah. wicked Christians, you know, you know, all those wicked ones that go to wicked churches that mm-hmm. the brethren can't even enter. And you realize that these wicked Christians know way more than you do. And it is literally embarrassing. And yeah. it's like, Oh, geez. And I don't know how many times I used, you know, whether it was a pastor or, or someone 
to help me interpret, you know, certain passages of the Bible that I could really use against them. And the that just never went over real well. They do not like it when I send them a verse that I, you know, yeah, yeah, I did. I sent them numerous ones, my mom, especially ones about trusting only God, you know, trust only in the Lord. And um, her response was, I am rock solid in my faith, rock solid. I have absolute trust. That's called and fundamentalism. And I'm like, oh, okay, but like, do you understand that Bruce Hales isn't necessarily part of that equation? Do, do you understand that? And yeah, by the way, criticizing him is a quick way to get withdrawn from. <laughs> it's, it it really is. <laughs> yeah. They really relate. I mean, they're their rules change with the ministry that's sent out every time it comes out. If something has changed in there, I mean, just recently, Bruce Hales is questioning the computers again, right? Like it's oh my gosh. in the Levitical meetings, he's like questioning computers again. And um, well, how is this going to work though? Because don't I they know, still go to I'm meeting sure over Zoom? Yeah. This is going to be very complicated. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it, it is it's very changing it fits their their ministry it reflects what rules they need for what they need to do at that yes. time right it's, and that's and that's exactly what I had called out to them the one time I just said you know you look at these other religious groups I'll I'll pick on one and say the Amish they, to the best of my knowledge, haven't changed a whole lot. Like they still drive their buggies and don't have electricity. Um, they don't decide, oh, hey, you know what? We could live a lot more comfortably if we had electricity in our house. So God changed his mind. We're going to have electricity now. Essentially, that's what the brethren have done. Oh, we could run our businesses a lot more effectively if we had computers. So, oops, now we can have computers. And it's frustrating to me that they can change so fluidly about things like technology, but yet when it comes to women and giving women more credit, giving women more power, for lack of a better word, yeah. we mm -hmm. cannot have that. That oh, will no. never change. That no. They might pretend that it will change, but the women will always be in the back rows. They will never be at the center. They will never be in the front row. And no. I think that will be the message to us when we know that in their church, a family can walk in and sit on a bench all together. That's what we're talking about, right? And yeah. we know that they'll never do that, right? No. That, that's, no. that will never happen. Not in a million years. Nope, not in a million years. Yeah. And and I just, you know, when I think too, you know, when I think back being eight years old, not wanting to actually tell anyone, not knowing who to turn to, there was that part because from such a young age, you're a girl. You just are not as important. So it doesn't really matter what you say. You're never going to be as important as him because he's a boy. And that's part of the issue too, that I did feel like I just had to take it. I mean, part of it was because I was living in his house, which that's hard. But part of it too is, well, he's a boy and he's older than me. So I don't have a choice. I don't have a choice. 
I have to just accept what's happening to me. So, so we've talked like- a little bit about sexual abuse. How much um, spousal abuse do you think goes on? How much physically? Oh, uh, I think far more than we would like to imagine. I mean, I, well, I had told Carmen this story. Um, me and one of my best friends in the Brethren, um, all my growing up years, we had dropped off another friend of ours. Um one night it was dark outside so of course with the lights on in the house you could clearly see and the family lived in kind of a split level house and my friend and I were still in the driveway getting ready to back out and we literally watched the man of the household push his wife down the stairs and I remember us just freezing and looking at each other and being like, what just happened? Um, you know, we just couldn't believe that that actually happened in front of us. And I remember us being like, well, what do we do? What do we do? Do we say anything? Do we bring this up to anyone? Because, and I, I look back now and think, why did we even question whether we should tell somebody? Because now, if I saw that happen, I'd immediately be telling somebody yeah. and doing something about it. Yes, you yeah. would call 911. Exactly. So, you would call the authorities. So why, why did I hesitate? Except that I know you are so raised to not involve outsiders. You yeah. don't involve anyone outside of the group. Especially authorities. So, exactly. Exactly. I mean, there's nothing worse than getting in trouble with the law. So, I mean, the last people you involve is law enforcement, you know. And so I I was trying, I actually spent some time thinking about it and trying to like go back in my brain to remember what we ended up doing. And I think we ended up deciding we would tell our parents because we didn't know what else to do. And um, I think the end call was my dad just said it's being handled and I'm not sure what it's being handled meant but they use that phrase a lot it's being handled I think usually means you're a woman and you need to forget about it yeah go away now and be quiet got to learn that these things have to go to the police you can't just skirt around crimes and be like we'll deal with it we'll handle it that's not how it works you're not in the ghetto you're not running a gang uh that's not how shit's handled. And what happens is then you get cases like this where years down the road, people stand up and start telling the shit. Abuse is seen. Police need to be called immediately. It doesn't well, happen. We know it hasn't happened, but it should. Well, and Carmen and I talked about, because I, I told her who it was. And I just said, you know, when I look back now, I work in social services now. I work with abuse not directly because I'm not a social worker, but I do see and hear of it Yeah, more than I probably would in other fields. And I look back now at that woman that was pushed down the stairs and think about how she carried herself, how she acted in meeting, out of meeting. Um, and I think that was an abused woman. There's not even a question in my mind. That was not an isolated incident. I guarantee you that there was regular abuse going on there and to take it a step further that was 
physical abuse, but I also have thought numerous times, you know, there is so much about wives being submissive to husbands. How many times is there marital rape Yeah, that they wouldn't call it rape? They would not call it that because, well, she's his wife. She has to, but it's, you're allowed to say no. Even if it's your spouse, you're allowed to say they, no. They don't but teach not them in there. anything about consent. No, they don't, teach they don't. Oh, interesting that you say that, Lane, because I actually was thinking that too in reference to all the, like, the abuse that happens among, like, like in my case, where it's a minor abusing another minor. And I think part of that comes from there's no education. There's no sex education at all. So some of it, not that I'm excusing it at all, but some of it is exploration because kids don't understand what's happening with their bodies. And it's like, well, you need to educate them. You, you don't let, like now I look at, you know, my friends have small children and, you know, they teach them. If anyone tries to touch you, you tell me. If anyone tries to touch, we never heard that. I never heard that in my life. It wasn't talked about. Never. And it should be. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a really good point. Like, and uh, I was talking about that with someone else recently about their schooling and how their biology class was one, this is in a brethren run school in North America, one like 30 minute class that told, that separated the men and the boys and the boys were told women have periods. That's your sex class. That's it, huh? And the women... Hey guys, guess what? You guys get periods. And and that, that was, means you get that, you get to that have was babies. their sex class. That was their sex education. <laughs> and and I've talked to 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 young women in and out that um, describe not knowing what to do oh. on their wedding night. So this is like, no this lie. Is, this is something insane. Well, I'd rather not necessarily think about this, but I do remember So right before I left, my oldest sister was getting married. I literally actually put off leaving for a few months because she announced she was getting married. And, and I knew me leaving would be devastating to my family. It's, it's one of the hardest things you have to deal with when you know, you're going to leave, you know, you're going to hurt people that you love. So I, I put off leaving because I wanted her to get married and be happy. And I remember my mom hearing her saying, you know, that she was going to have a talk with Linda. And I remember her saying, yep, you need to know a few things. Um, Your dad knew absolutely nothing. How embarrassing is that to think about? My dad, like, I don't want, like, it's gross to think about really, but (laughs) like, my dad knew nothing. Like, that's like, how terrible is that? 13 year olds, 14 year olds, no more just from school. Yes. Then, then we, then we did, and some of these women that, and and Beth and these people, right, that, that were adults in their early twenties getting married. Yes. You know, obviously yes. virgins because that's the only thing the church accepts, and yep. uh, and they don't even give them a sex education. They literally didn't know what to do. No. And like, I just think like that. Oh, like how it makes me cringe. Like how embarrassing so, and awkward and this is a true story there's a uh ex-member that i've spoken to recently that uh thought 
that the brethren used artificial insemination. He, he believed that until he was in his early 20s. Oh, my. Because that's what they, they never talked about it. Family never spoke about it, never learned about it. No one in his family would say a word about it. The brethren never mentioned sex. If you say tits, they just about, they get red in the face and, and get Oh, infected. yeah. And like, like I, I remember, you know, when I first left, like, you know, you'd hear certain terms, sex acts, names, whatever. And it was like, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. Not a clue. Like, literally here, let me pull up urban dictionary because I need to know what this is. And, and it, it creates an additional, like, it's, it's hard when you leave because it's one more thing that you don't know. It's one more thing. And it's that thing that, Hey, I can ask someone when I go out to eat at a restaurant, how do I know how much to tip? I can ask somebody that it's a lot more embarrassing as a 21 year old to be like, Hey, can, can you teach me about sex? Yeah. 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 Not cool. My only experience is being abused as a child. And I don't think that's how sex works. So can yeah. we talk about that? Yeah. No. You don't want to bring that up on a first date. And not so much. Yeah. No, not so much. It's the whole thing is a very, it's just a very awkward, awkward situation. And then throw in how many of these totally, I mean, I was going to say innocent, but they aren't necessarily innocent in a sense, but all they know is abuse. They don't know what a healthy relationship is supposed to look like. Yeah. They don't even know what healthy sex is. Yes. Right? Like, like I'd, I'd, I hate to imagine some of the sex that goes on in the Plymouth Brethren with people that have no fucking clue what they're doing. And when you have men in position of power that think that they own the women. And yeah. And think that there's no such thing as no in marriage. Right? That is a scary combination. And that's what we yeah. have with the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church. Yeah. So... After Beth and I talked last week, I did a little bit of research. And according to the Domestic Violence Research Organization, one of the most prominent causes and probably the biggest cause of spousal abuse is a family history of abuse. So what does that tell you? It's because the, the women going do on for not years. know, the women do not know and do not stand up and say, this is wrong, wrong. Yeah. and in doing that what they're teaching their kids is you need to accept this yeah and yeah. that's why it continues for generation after generation you know the, yeah. the family that beth was talking about that mom would never have stood up to her husband never i mean she was a mousy little thing but yeah. the sad part about that was all of her kids were seeing what's going on she's not standing up and saying this is wrong and that's why it continues. You're exactly right. And, you know, like I had said to Carmen, I I hate to think of the fact that perhaps my abuser is a victim too, because I, I don't want to feel sympathy for him. I want to be angry with him. That's just how I feel. But I also have to be realistic and say, this seems like a generational thing. It really does. It seems like... If one generation is abused, then they move on and abuse another generation, you know, and it, it doesn't make it any less wrong, but 
it also is something it's like somewhere you guys have to wake up and break this chain sometime you're the person doing that you're the person doing that cheryl's the person doing that right breaking the chain that's what we all want it's such a systemic issue in there right like it's just yeah and that's what i think it's just like it's conversation after conversation after conversation after conversation that we need to have right it's the more conversations we have the more um courage that we show gives them courage inside and i've had people reach out um that worked with brethren inside that have confided in me of the abuse that was reported to them and it's just i mean man maple creek is just i mean they're all but you seem to these small towns just get very i think i agree with you cheryl i think the small towns it's like oh boy it just and you know i told carmen i i feel like it's so important too now that i finally found my voice to talk about it because Mm -hmm. i do have a good life i'm happy i'm married i have a good job i i'm in a good place and so i want if there's members watching them to see you can do this you can leave you can talk about it and you can build a good life and they will hold up to you that person that left and then committed suicide and tell you that that's what's going to happen to you but they're lying that is not a guarantee because for every one person that leaves and commits suicide there's how many of us that they're not telling you about that we are we are flourishing really Very and much they so. say oh we're doing these podcasts we're talking about this because we're bitter it's like no no i've actually moved on beyond being bitter yeah, i am yeah. i am much more interested in making sure that this isn't still happening yeah and just because we get into these heavy conversations and we cry and we get angry and we get frustrated and those are all human responses that we're having in dealing with a huge systemic issue that needs to be looked at that doesn't mean we have a beautiful we have a beautiful life out here the freedom is worth fighting for for it sure is, it's like and that's what i want to tell those women that are in there that you have to come to this make a pros and cons list right make the list it's like what what are you worth you are worth more than what you are receiving you are worth you are worth to embrace how beautiful you are in every way, shape, and form inside and out. And you're not going to feel that inside there in the, the hierarchy that you have. R- Richard, what you've been quiet. What, what, are you, what are you thinking? What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I was just thinking um, the one of the reasons why we're doing this is because, and, and those of you who are still inside the Brethren hear this, it's because we feel so sorry for you being stuck in there we're not bitter we're, we're feeling terribly sorry terribly bad for all you guys who haven't managed to escape who haven't found your freedom and we see you wasting your lives and you know we just love for people to get free and enjoy what we're enjoying i love what you just said richard because that is so true it's like i i am not bitter i i've come to a place where I can accept a lot of what's happened and I I've moved on with my life, but you're right. 
I look at my family and just think, oh, do you know what you're missing out on? Yeah. Do you know the relationships? You know, you're raised to believe that, you know, people outside of the brethren are bad, that there's no good people out there. And it's like, I look at some of the friendships I have, the relationships I've built, and think I would have missed out on this. I wouldn't have this. You know, how many friendships do they miss out on just because they label those people as bad without ever giving them a chance? And, and it's like, I feel sorry for you. I want you to get out and experience real happiness. Yeah. Your belief, they, they believe in a false God. I can guarantee you that when you leave, you'll have a much clearer picture. Yes. Of Christianity. You'll have a much clearer picture of God. Yes. You won't, you, you won't realize how distorted your beliefs are inside there when you get out. Yeah, that distortion is taken away and you realize what a lie you've been living. Well, and it takes time. You know, I, I had told Carmen this too. You know, it takes time. I, I didn't leave and immediately say to myself, oh, I was in a cult. It oh, takes yeah, exactly. a yeah. long time to accept that that's what it was. And it takes a long time to deal with the brainwashing because it was years before you know, some, something bad would happen. Say uh, the car breaks down, something like that. And, oh, that's because I left the brother. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's because you're conditioned to believe that your life will crumble when you leave the brother, that everything will happen. And I, I told my parents actually in, a, in one of my letters to them, I said, you know, the brother used to preach. I don't know how many times I heard, you know, preachings on, you know, narrow the way you know is that's the brethren way it's the hard way it's very hard you know if you go in the world it's the wide gate you know and and you just want an easier way and that's why people choose the world and i (laughs) i told my parents i said it couldn't be more wrong because i said if i wanted an easy here do this go here do that be this i would have stayed brethren yeah leaving is the hardest thing I've ever done and will ever do in my whole life. It's the scariest thing I ever did. And I left knowing full and well that I would probably never see, interact, however you want to say it, with my family the same way again. And that is a very hard thing. There's nothing easy about that. Never mind all the other things you have to navigate when you're literally dumped into a world that you're completely unfamiliar with. Um, but there's the emotional. And it's like, they don't, they don't understand that. They think, oh, you just want an easier way. No, no, that's actually far, far from the truth. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say is the biggest blessing that you got from leaving? Like when you look back at your life, like what is the biggest I I would say freedom for me, you know, the freedom to do what I want to do, live where I want to live, love who I want to love. I mean, these are big things. You don't realize how important freedom is when you've never had it. They don't realize what they're missing because they've never had it. And for me, it's huge. And I have, you know, people laugh at me 
call me a crazy cat lady because I love my cat. I have a cat and she's the sweetest. But we couldn't have pets. Yeah. It's a big deal. It's a, it, it's not. I mean, it's a simple little thing. It's it's a pet. But these are big things when you when you're told no. Yeah. And you know, so it's just little things like that that I do appreciate about my life. The ability to, oh, hey, guess what? Seven o'clock at night, and guess who doesn't have to go to meeting? This girl. <laughs> or prepare for like the interchange or three-day meetings and cook a million meals and you know, be yep. running around ragged. I mean, my like you know, when we think of our mothers, right? And like what oh. they had to do. I mean, Carmen yep. completely experienced it as a mother in there. Yes. Um, Richard would have ex- would have witnessed what it was like as a man watching his ex-wife yep. be, you know, running around like a chicken with her head cut off, right? I mean, yeah. those 100%. women are yeah. slaves. Sorry, go ahead, Richard. No, 100%. My my mother and, and my ex-wife. I mean, it's hard, hard work. Yeah. There's no option. You can't just say, I don't feel up to it today. No. You have to nope. prepare a meal for 30 people. You just get your ass on with it. Yeah. Yep. 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 Had a baby on a Wednesday night. Had interchanged um, overnight companies Friday morning. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. No. And that was baby number four in four years. <laughs> that women are slaves. Women 100% are slaves in there. They are their yes. slaves. And that's why they keep them so submissive because they need them to, they need to be in that submissive, submissive role to be able to make them do what they need to do. Right. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. No, it's, it's, it's sad. It's very sad. The yeah. lives that they actually leave, you know, or lead. Yeah. Well, we are very appreciative of you coming on, Beth, and um, telling your story. You're welcome to come on at any time you want to have a voice. And well, thank um, you for having me. It's it's never easy to yeah. talk about these things, but I do think it's important. It is very important. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Okay. Until next time, folks. Take care. To share your story or be a guest on the show, email info.getalife at proton.me.